From the Tech Allies Network, this is the Tech Allies Podcast, the show helping you to develop and maintain your professional self in the tech sphere. Ryan, what are we doing today? So David, I've dragged you out on a a rainy day actually, because we are going to be talking to Nadia, who is the co-founder and MD of Harrington Star. Harrington Star are a specialist recruitment agency that places technology staff for financial services, but they've also got a sister company called Northstar, which looks at the non-financial sector. And what kind of stuff are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be breaking down and demystifying recruitment. We're looking at everything from hiring, career planning, to different scenarios and what advice Nadia would give to someone in a situation, and also just how she set up a business. You know, she's a founder. I think that all sounds really interesting. Here's what's coming up. First bit of advice is definitely give it a go. It actually is so nothing to do with someone's CV and it's so nothing to do with the job description that the hiring manager's written. What managers are now starting to see is it's not what you know today, it's what you could learn and know tomorrow. It was developers in the basement and now they're in boardrooms. Have a vision, have a map, have a future, but don't be afraid to scrunch that all up and go in a different direction. So, thank you, Nadia. It's great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I could try and introduce you, but you are Women of Fintech Power List uh, mm. Award nominee, not even nominee. You you won it. You was on the list. Mm. Um, so, I'm going to pass it over to you to explain who you are and yeah. what you do. And what I do, of course, yeah. Um, and thank you. That's a really nice intro to say I could try, but, you know, couldn't. So I really appreciate that. I uh, I like to describe myself as a recruiter because my heart and soul's within recruitment. I am now a co-founder and now an MD of a recruitment agency. I've worked within recruitment for the last 16 years. But realistically, what that means to me is that I have been around technology and financial services technology for 16 years. I've been helping people find new jobs, get promoted, get chosen for the best projects, impress their managers, get hired. You can name you, know, you can name it. I've been helping people really progress themselves in their career over the last 16 years. And I've moved myself into being a position of vast visibility now because Harrington Star, the company I co-founded, we're now 70 people large uh, in the UK and in New York. And what that means is I get to see so much of the financial services technology industry via the recruitment sector. I hope that gives you a good intro to who I am and what I do. We've got lots to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to break it down with starting with hiring because you kind of coined a phrase or framework called the talent triangle so could you sum up what is the talent triangle yeah Yeah, absolutely um i'll give you a full background to what the talent triangle is so as i said i've worked in recruitment for many many years and one of the things i am uber uber passionate about is is about helping people progress in their careers i don't like the thought that people assume that recruitment is recruiters just handing a cv over to a hiring manager and going oh i hope you like that and if they don't that's the end of the story what i like is uh, and what i promote for harrington star and our north star subsidiary is for us to Um, and and for me to train our consultants to meet every single candidate, understand what that candidate wants, and more importantly, understand what that candidate's potential is. So I know this is a long way around explaining what Talent Triangle is. I will get there, I promise. But essentially, if you have all of us recruiters out there 
really fighting for our candidates, standing up for their potential and going to hiring managers and saying, wait, you cannot expect to hire somebody of the exact skill set that you're looking for and that person to feel invested in and that person to feel like they can be loyal to the business and trust the business. You cannot expect that unless you work backwards and you work to help and support that candidate. So in short, Talent Triangle is about us as recruiters trying to persuade hiring managers to invest in talent and help them progress within their careers by joining a company and not hiring people for having A, B, C, D skill set, but instead hiring someone for A, B and C skill set and teaching them D, E or F. And if we can all, as hiring managers, commit to training people, investing in people, seeing their potential, I think that's going to have such a wonderful outcome for the whole of the UK economy. And I'm really passionate about that. And I called that the talent triangle and how you can invest in people as they progress throughout their career. You have some great articles that actually visualise the yeah the triangle as well i see um, he's top. doing the triangle handshake right now everyone uh, but yeah i'll definitely post that when you post this podcast i'll post them out so you can visualize what i mean by hiring people with an abc skill set and you investing in them to give them defg hij you know and i'm really i'm really passionate about that and as a recruiter i think that i've worked really hard over the last 16 years but i've now positioned myself to be able to meet thousands of hiring managers and say it isn't just about what's on someone's cv and that and this is always my quote of quote of everything i do now in recruitment it actually is so nothing to do with someone's cv and it's so nothing to do with the job description that the hiring manager's written in fact it's about the hiring manager the team the company their vision their purpose their culture and then it's about the person their potential their passion their I, I, I nearly saw then, which I won't do, but there's something that, um, that we, we coined this phrase in our business and it's how, how much someone cares and anyone that's heard me before. <laughs> I know you going to say that. something, <laughs> something factor, you know, the X factor, let's say. You know, and if someone really, really gives that X factor, then they are, then I believe they should be invested in because if someone cares and if someone's passionate, do you know what? I want to train them and I want to invest in them. And I think hiring managers should too. So Harrington Star and North Star focuses on technology specifically. Mm -hmm. What are the up and coming skills that you see both happening in the technology industry and what hiring managers want? And how do we make sure that we have the right skills to be hired into tech. That we're exhibiting that. So what's really great to see is learning in itself as a skill. Now, 15 years ago when I first, or 16, when I first started in recruitment, people did just look for your skill in Java or your skill in C++ or your business analysis skills or whatever. Whereas actually now I think um, people are being much more realistic that technology is changing at such exponential rates, even faster than more Moore's law ever predicted. And that's great and that's, that's brilliant to watch. But what managers are now starting to see is it's not what you know today, it's what you could learn and know tomorrow. So it's your adaptability, your um, agility, your, your ability to be able to learn off other people People, to communicate with others and act as a sponge and um, I know that sounds like a soft skill set but I actually think and see and, and, and have seen it lots with the hiring managers we deal with that that's actually a hardcore skill set that is key to key to somebody really building a great career for themselves. So just a scenario say if I'm a developer who's been doing x years in a certain language and there's this role with a, a cool company that's using a new technology that I've no experience in 
but I know Java, for example. Mm. How would you, what advice would you give me to yeah. say, okay, Ryan, you can go for this. Yeah. Here's how you frame yourself. Yeah. So first bit of advice is definitely give it a go, right? So I'm, I'm massively passionate about just try, just see what it could take you. I think there's too many people in, in, in the recruitment world and in life that are thinking, oh no, I better not give that a go because I may fail. No, give, give it a chance because realistically Java is a great example. Actually, the connections that Java has to so many other things gives you a certain mindset and gives you a foundation of process that you would have either been taught at university or in, or in how you're coding right now. So actually it's about how you communicate that within, within the business. What I would say on the other side of that is you want to have a recruiter, not wanting to pitch Harry to Star too much, but you want to have a recruiter that's going to stand up for you um, because let's be for real, probably your, your CV like let's say the example is Java moving into uh, one of the new uh, one of the new sexy front end stuff that they have at the moment, a version of Ad, um, Angular JS, let's say one of their new versions. So you've been a, a full stack uh, Java developer, let's say, and you want to move into something much more front end focused. You've only really seen Angular before, and you want to learn that. Let's be for real. Your profile is probably going to be compared with someone who's done Angular JS for the last six months, or or has a project that they can prove this is what I've done the most beautiful thing about technology is you can get a load of stuff done at home so one of my favourite ever placements I won't say his name for GDPR reasons but he will know who he is I placed him at a peer-to-peer lending company and think about how many people I've placed over the years like thousands but this guy really stands out for me and it was years ago and he was a Java developer and he was trying to get into a newer version of, of a particular technology and him and three mates they'd meet at Tottenham Court Road every Tuesday night now he'll know I'm definitely talking about him and they were building an app and it was actually like a car parking app but they were doing this in their free time when he went and interviewed he could show this is what I do this is what I've done and you know what we kind of do this for fun like this is what we're really passionate about this is what we're interested in and of course the guy got snapped up and he'll always be my favorite placement because I'm a non-techie and this techie was able to explain techie stuff to me a non-techie my degrees were not in technology they're in history and international relations so like you couldn't be further away from tech um but he was able to teach me exactly how he built this app i couldn't repeat it now but at the time i could have and to me that really exhibits uh, a perfect example of if you want to go for something go for it but also help the hiring manager choose you really make sure that it's not just your CV getting compared to somebody else's CV, but you are showing who you are as a person through that. At what point does somebody pick a recruiter and say, I'm interested? Because if if I'm a Java developer... Who would you go to? Yeah. Do do I... It, do, you, do people come to you and ask yep. I'm a Java developer I've no idea what to do I don't have any experience I want to go into front end I want yep. to work on AngularJS or, or a web framework like that and then you give them advice and they should go at that point or do they come into you before you even they even think about moving job they just want to touch base and let, let you know who they are so um, people can always come to us. I think that's the first thing that I should say. Like they sh- And they should always come to us. And I really love people to just call us up and ask for advice because it's we don't commercialise that. We are recruiters that are here to help. Like there is no charge for a lot of things that other agencies will charge for. Like I don't charge for CV tailoring services. If you want to come in, I mean, good luck to you for fitting into my diary, but if you want to come in and want me to do some training sessions on interviews, I'll do that too. 
So to answer your question directly, we have people that uh, get in contact with us when they're looking, but what they're looking for is what roles do you have? And and that's the sort of um, that's the sort of traditional recruitment service that people are after. But we do the untraditional stuff as well. Whereas before they even thought about starting to look, we're introducing ourselves to them. We're headhunting and not headhunting necessarily for a role, but headhunting to say, Hiya, I'm a Java recruit, recruitment specialist agency. We want to talk to you. What what stuff that interests you? Like um, my consultants at the moment are going out there asking, if you're going to read a blog and you're a Java developer, what are you going to read? What, what do you like to read? What interests you? What uh, information on the market can we give you aside from your traditional salary surveys, interview guides, things like that. Uh, online testing, we, we show everyone all the different versions of that and just help them present themselves in the best way through that. Um, but we're getting some really good uh, good feedback from some of the conversations. So one of the team leads, um, he recently posted something on LinkedIn that's had over 35,000 views, like 45,000 likes. It is ridiculous. And it's just a cartoon of the Pink Panther cutting a, cutting a tree. And, um, and the, the quote above it says, when you delete a bit of code that you thought did nothing, and the pink panther cuts the tree and the whole the whole bottom part of the cartoon drops out and he's like oh actually maybe that code did do something but that really obviously ignited a passion in in coders minds but that's the sort of stuff that we want to talk to people about you know how can we help in the bigger picture does that answer that question so getting early when getting you're early. when you, even when you need to, to develop us. the skills yeah. Point. Yeah, and we can give we can give tailored tailored advice to your situation, you as an individual, what goals you particularly have. That's what we should be doing, and actually, that's what the whole recruitment industry should be doing. It shouldn't just be is your CV right for this role. It's much bigger than that. It's not just this one role. It's your career, and we want to be involved in that. So something that sparked a, a light bulb in my head when you was giving that example of the guy who met up on Tuesday to work on a project is historically I'm massively over stereotyping here but you'd have a computer scientist a developer who couldn't speak to anyone but could write great code now you're getting people who can develop great and also talk really well and mm. present how do you compete in that market how do I stand out yeah yeah I think that's a great question I think that there's the power of the individual look I, I, what I don't want to do is sit here saying that every developer must become the best presenter in the world everyone's unique everyone's different and everyone's skills can be stretched in certain areas now yes there are roles out there and there are people out there that are doing incredibly well because they can code beautifully cleanly complexly as well as stand there and go wow listen to this idea and oh my god they're engaging the audience and that's brilliant but not everyone's going to be able to have both sides of that coin i definitely think that if it's something that's in your heart that you think i wish i could do better in this area there's things that you can do to challenge yourself um really simply just go out there and start doing it like like start talking to three people in your team saying hey I've got this new idea and you may be nervous inside thinking oh I don't know if I can I can um, communicate this properly but give it a go um, and I think it start the give it a go factor it starts it starts there a lot of the time um, but at the same time 
Um, in our in in the world of uh, tech at the moment, yes, there are such a plethora of new roles now, um, and these roles are coming out of the woodwork because there's so many parts of technology that's um, fascinating that, bec- that that is all to do with communication nowadays. And you're right, ten years ago, it was developers in the basement, and now they're in boardrooms. And I wrote a I wrote an article entitled "From Basement to Boardroom" about developers and how the world's world has changed. But what I don't want to do is sit here going every developer must be able to stand up in front of a million people no i think there's some amazing developers that we place that really stand for clean code let's say or excellent documentation through a bit of chat with someone that you sit near and actually that's moving the world forward as well what i wouldn't want to do is sit here and say this is how you have to become and that to feel unobtainable for some excellent coders that are out there i think it's important that you know what your skill set is what your goals are your personal goals what's your purpose day in day out and you know what be inspired by that guy mr perfect let's see what we can we can um, do in terms of trying to um, assimilate and, and be a little bit like that but we also have to understand the power of who we are being unique it's bringing your own authenticity and passion to it which i think is key when have you seen hiring go wrong and when have you seen it gone right yeah. and why horror okay. stories here horror stories <laughs> so um hiring going wrong um so if anybody listening to this is interested in um working in recruitment um just so that you know it is probably the like you've got to be so resilient because 99 percent of what you do does go wrong but you have to treat it like the one percent that's going to go right i.e every candidate that you put put into an interview process you've got to train them in that process you've got to help them with their cv you've got to behave as if you 100 percent believe they're going to get the job um but at the same time be aware of what problems could could hit that individual along the way and also dealing with humans so you know a hell of a lot can go wrong horror stories wise do you want interviews that have gone wrong like my worst interview stories the people that have gone wrong um okay you'd be surprised um but uh we've had quite senior people go into interviews and chew gum and blow a bubble like no joke ridiculous um i've had someone sitting at sitting in an interview and uh, the manager's asked him a question and he's gone oh isn't that mansion house station over there like oh so you're you're really uh, committed to this interview process um i've had someone that forced me to persuade the hr lady to go in early to give him a technical test at eight o'clock um eight o'clock in the morning so she went in early and did that he took he was 45 minutes late to start with he took one look at the test said i can't do that and walked out excellent uh, n- never to be heard of ever again so there are there are some poor poor behavior people out there um but in terms of when things have gone really right i've had people screw up that technical test and then sit there and go i'd like to speak to to the person that's just marked that and explain to them where i struggled that's a great bit of advice i'd like to give to the people that are listening today like i always talk about owning your mistakes and especially in technology being aware that you're like it'd be impossible if you need to know everything and it's okay that you don't know everything and i think we've got to kind of educate both sides educate the hiring managers that mr or miss perfect or or mrs perfect does not exist it's about us making our people perfect for the role once they're here and once they're in in there and i think that if if people take some stress off the the interview the interview process itself and can say hey you know i messed up just then i said this when i should have said that or you know i don't know the answer to that but i tell you what give me 10 minutes and a computer and i will have that set 
Uh, and I think in terms of the good stories, I've had people take my advice and do that and do really well. I've had people take my advice when they've gone into a into an interview and the poor things have gone through like four hours in one go. And at the end, they still remember to say, thank you for your time. This is why I love the job. I'd love it if you could give me the opportunity of working here and through pure passion and, and just being a really nice person, they've ended up getting the job. I've had other people, one guy in particular years ago, uh, he didn't realise, but the lady on reception um, was the wife of, not the CEO, but I think it was like the CFO, so the chief financial officer. Um, and he went in there and he was just a really like thoroughly decent guy. And she came, she sat him down um, and she said, oh, would you like anything to drink? And he went, oh God, I'd really like some water. I'm pretty nervous. And they ended up having a chat. At the end of the day, there were four people that were getting considered and two, two right at the end, it was going to be the guy that I was representing or a different person. And as they were, all the C-level staff were debating who should they put this offer out to, the CFO's wife happened to be walking past and she said, oh, um, not that, not that you know, I, I interviewed him, but I kind of did because I sat him down for 15 minutes and I think that culturally this is someone that we should be having in our business. Personality-wise, friendliness, the fact that he was humble and he said to me, with not thinking anyone was listening, how important this is to him. I think he'd take it seriously. I think we should go with him. And isn't that a beautiful story? They went with that guy because of what she said. And um, normally when people tell you stories like that, they tell you about how awfully the receptionist was, was treated. But I, I like to think, think about things a bit more positively. How can we bring good to situations? It's not just about highlighting the bad. And that reminds me of what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, actually, at, at the, an event where if you don't get the culture right and who you're hiring at the beginning, as soon as you start to grow rapidly, that's when it can go wrong. Mm. So is there a difference when you say a, a small startup who's just starting up in who you're hiring compared to I'm in that growth stage and I'm hiring or I'm an established company now and I still need to hire? Yeah. Do you have different types of recruitment? Do you look for different types of people depending on what stage you're at? Yeah, I think that generally what I've seen, because we love to partner with startups as they're as they're growing and support them in their growth. Um, and as we've what we've seen over the years is that the startup culture is very much get involved and get involved with everything. And there are just some people out there that, that don't want to. There are certain people who are like, this is the box that I'm in is the box that I will be in and this is what I will do. And this is what I can bring, bring to the day where there's other people who don't want to be in a box. They want to be outside the box all the time, getting involved in everything. And, and they have a, a massive, uh, they have a feel good factor of helping out and, and getting involved in, you know, washing the dishes, for example. So uh, at Harrington Star, we call it sweeping the sheds. And um, it's actually a phrase that comes from uh, the uh, rugby team, the All Blacks. And they have a they have a mantra that everyone must sweep the sheds at the end of the at the end of the day. And that mantra is, is basically you could be the CEO, the CTO, um, or the newest member of staff. And if there's if there's mess or if there's something that needs to be fixed, we all get involved because no one's too big for the company. And I think in startup phase, that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of companies struggle to keep with that as they grow because once you hit 200, 250, there are different challenges and those challenges aren't about who's got the uh, 
you know who, who's got the best idea that we can all jump on immediately but instead there's 250 people and maybe it's it, the focus is now about people management and staff retention and um, making sure that everyone even knows what the vision is and knows what the purpose is because that's what happens when you're 250 people like if you did a, a survey on any company of 250 people and said right what's the, what's this company's vision what's their purpose would they know the answer whereas when you're a startup everyone would and everyone gets up in the morning to go there so of course it's very different people for each of those different types of firms so i think it's just about identifying you know when it comes to to hiring in in each of these businesses identifying what they actually want and what type of person they want and which type would 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 uh, do better within each environment because don't forget the people in that in the startup environment they'd feel totally claustrophobic being surrounded by 250 people and talking about them not knowing the vision they'd be like how the hell do you not know the vision of where you work it'd frustrate them so um culturally i think there, there are differences and it's about identifying them kind of moving topics yeah. now career planning and career mapping do you believe in it some people say you can't map your career every step what's your thoughts on that whole mapping out what you want to do career-wise and your aspirations so i promise i'm not sitting on the fence when i say this i promise and i'll i'll kind of i'll bat the corner for both um of, of the both answers yes and no so yes i believe in it because um i have a very uh, a very strict rule when we first uh, introduce ourselves to candidates there are a number of things that we must talk to them about um, and before any candidate is sent to a, a client we'll have spoken to them three or four times and most of the time we'll have met them and within those conversations we will say where do you want to be in two three four years time what what are your future goals what what's your vision for yourself and that is a must question so there's no way i can sit here and go no nah, i think it's all loaded to it. you know like I, I have to of course i believe in it but i think i think it's really important to have a goal to have a vision to have something you're aiming for but at the same time if something comes in and sidelines you perhaps a new opportunity perhaps completely new technology or a new way of thinking or a new firm whatever opportunity presents itself to you it's okay to pause and go mm, do I need to go and become a technical architect like I thought I wanted to five years ago instead actually I could become the chief innovation officer at a new startup over here and it's um you know both roles completely different but actually it's still progressing and moving forward so I know that's a bit vague because I'm saying yes and no no I'm not I think I'm saying yes have a vision have a map have a future but don't be afraid to, you know, scrunch that all up and go in a different direction if and when it presents itself. So the question of where do you see yourself in five years is the one that I use whenever I meet someone's other half and they want me to like approve them. Oh yeah. I always throw that out there as a joke, oh, but yeah, yeah. just to see how they react. Nice, nice. And another one is um, this isn't romantic advice, but I'd be like, "What's your intention with my friend?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've done that before. I got into trouble when I've asked someone that. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. You really interview your friends other halves oh i did it this weekend oh. uh they wanted and i said i'll send you the report i send I'll, I'll let you know yeah. if he or she's okay and it's quite funny yeah I anyway love i diverge mm -hmm. so on the topic of being ready for if some a new opportunity comes about mm. how do you kind of make the decision is there a question that you would recommend people to ask themselves 
when figuring out should I take this opportunity I've never even thought about before. Mm. So you mean like if someone's in, in, a, in a good job right now and then end up another opportunity presents itself, should I make that leap? If there's one question, so I don't think there is just one question. I think there's a number of questions. So I'll kind of, I'll take you through the questions that I train our recruiters to ask people. So one thing that I really don't like is when someone makes an emotional decision for their career. Because one of the rules that I always say is that it's our responsibility as recruiters to ask someone how impassioned they feel about a job when they leave that interview, that final interview. But then we should speak to them again in 24 hours. And if that passion has died out, well, what's actually left? Because our responsibility isn't just to get someone to take a job that they're going to stick with for a month. I need to make sure that they're going to be able to survive the the difficult Monday mornings or the Tuesday afternoons where their boss has just had a go at them. Like it's about long longevity rather than just a flippant, oh, I really like it, you know. Um, and I always equate like your new permanent job as um, it's like a marriage, you know, it's a relationship. You're going to be in, in work longer than you will be at home. Like, you you better get on with the person that's, that you sit next to or at least respect them before you can learn something from them. Um, so I think I ask I ask a lot of questions um, that people should ask themselves. Um, sometimes it goes really basic to if you are changing career slightly or path slightly, is that going to reflect on the money and you taking a monetary drop? Because if you are, you need to make sure you can still pay your rent and your mortgage like just like simply survival but more importantly than that I like to take people through um, a process where they have to ask themselves technology wise how much does this uh, interest you um, what do you like about the technology that they have today right and it's it's I know I said before technology changes per second but can you actually do that job they've asked of you to do can you do that today and, and will you be interested by it um, because a lot of people take a job where that part of it, they'll put up with it for what it could give them elsewhere. And all of this is a weighing up situation. So you've got to weigh up, is that is that tech interesting? The opportunity that's in front of me for me and where my career could go, how, how good is that opportunity? How much am I involved in that? Am I proud? Would I be proud to go and tell my parents that? Would I be proud to go and tell my my, my friends um, and, and extended family, oh, this is what I do now and they're into it? You know, these are all things to consider. The company itself, um, how how much the the remuneration is that something that's in line? Is there um, is there chances for learning? Will you be invested in? What do you think of the people? What do you think of the projects? So there's a, there's a whole load. I'd probably say there's about fifteen questions, and I couldn't just give one because I think it's all a balance. It isn't just oh well they've given me a hundred grand, so I better take that job because if it's a rubbish job and will do nothing for you, you may go oh yeah I'd take that. No, you wouldn't because in three months' time you'd be back at your old thirty-five grand job that you actually love. You know, and that's the reality of life. So it's our responsibility as recruiters to help people understand all the questions that they should ask themselves. And what we do, or what I get get the, the guys to do in the office, is um, to write it all down from day one when they discuss, when they meet their candidate, what are you looking for, what are your long-term goals? And then when they come out of this final interview, there'll be pages and pages of notes because they've asked it a million times. And at the end, they go, right, so now what do you think? Like, tell me, how did you get on with that manager? What about that project? What about the future projects there? How involved in this would you be? How excited are you? Who's the first person you're going to call to say you've got that got that job, you know? And that tells you, like, who they want to go and show off to or, or who they need approval from. And, and this is all really important for making a good long-term decision that will stick. 
and recruitment so many things don't stick because people are persuaded into jobs they never should have been persuaded into so my thoughts on it is it's my responsibility and our responsibility as Harrington stars to help people make the right decision because they've questioned as much as possible around it. You said beforehand that you shouldn't make emotional decisions about business. What happens if someone's in a comfortable job, they're happy with where they're at, they've got a great team, they like who they're working with, they like the management, but everything's too comfortable and yeah. they're ambitious. Uh, then Would you, you wanna, recommend... Yeah. To, to move i love what, that what that's a really good question so just one thing first like um so people listening to this they probably they probably don't know me right so i can say don't make emotional decisions in business because i know the two of you sitting here you probably can see from who i am i'm highly emotional i get very excited i can get very deflated and it's something that i work on day in day out to try and be as commercial and I don't want to say middle of the road. See, that's my whole thoughts on emotion already. But I try and I try and be quite clear with: Am I making the right decision because I'm excited, or am I making the right decision because it's the right decision? Um, so I, I think emotion is important, but don't be led too much by it. But to answer to answer your question, um, we see that a lot that people are comfortable in their job and and they're scared to go into a discomfort zone and they're scared to leave what they know like the back of their hand and actually that is the majority of the reasons why we have people accept counter offers because they're too scared to actually make the plunge and make the move and the most interesting thing about counter offers just to just to kind of ex explain, we see it all the time. Um, someone goes, hands in their noses to their boss. Their boss says, no, please stay. We love you so much. Don't don't you remember we used to go and have coffee at that coffee shop every Monday? Let's go and do that again. Let me buy you lunch this Friday. And bada bing, bada boom, they've decided to stay with the promise of a much better role and the promise of more money. And of course, none of this comes to fruition. So that's your typical counter offer. But realistically... When that happens, 90% um, of the people that happens to, and if you Google this anywhere, it's not just us as a recruitment agency that sees this, it's the whole world. 90% of those people will be back on the market within six months, calling me going, hey, is that role still live? No, because the manager put an offer to you and you said, no, I'm staying with my current manager. So I think um, it's really important for people to look at the question you asked. I'm comfortable here. I'm really happy here. I say hi to the receptionist downstairs. I've got my favourite sandwich shop. I know this code like the back of my hand. I could I could literally probably get my whole day done in two hours less if I really put my mind to it. That means you're comfy. That means you're not stepping forward and you're not stepping up in your career. And that's really hard to admit. And that's a certain part of recruitment as well that I try and bring to it. It's so important that I try and help people understand how much further they can go if they really want to and it's the really want to bit so me personally i can say it because when we set up harrington star i was in a great job at a competitor that does incredibly well and uh, they were absolutely lovely people they had a great business strategy and i would have done really well if i'd stayed there this was a, a massive step out of my comfort zone and I'm so glad that I ended up doing it and it was a bit of a windy road for me to get here but by doing it I've now progressed my my career so that I can I can say I'm a, a co-founder and what I've learned from co-founding a business is way more than I ever would have but it's been hard and being an MD of a business and now jointly with my other MD James Halso running a team of 70 people did I ever think that I was capable of doing that 
No, but if I'd stayed in my comfortable job where I knew the managers and I knew what I was doing and all that, I'd probably still be at that level right now. So it's a choice that we have to make and that choice is a hard one because it's not just black and white, make a choice and go, that's it, stick with it. It isn't as easy as that. It's talk to people about it, talk to your recruiter about it and most of all, talk to yourself about it. It actually reminds me of something that David says, yeah, which is comfort and growth cannot coexist. Yeah, lovely quote. You said that to me a couple of years ago and it stuck with me. I think it's something originally from the CEO of IBM's Ginny Rometty, I think. Best quotes are stolen. Another one which yeah. someone told me was on that line of emotion is don't make permanent decisions based off of temporary feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. She probably stole it nice. from someone else. But. Yeah. So um, uh, the the book of the samurai, uh, Hagakure, um, um, so I read that years ago and there's a few bits that really stuck with me. Um, and one is you do make you do make decisions within seven breaths. So a lot of us we overcomplicate the decisions that we're making. But realistically, if you just what do I really want? And you and you, and if you've had enough support throughout the whole let's say interview process, anyone should make a decision within seven breaths if you've given them all the information. So I'm massively passionate about that. So you mentioned a bit around your journey towards setting up your own business and Harrington Star. What What is that journey? What made you kind of go, do you know what? I'm going to leave my job where I could easily stay here for a bit, yeah. uh, do well, and the company will do well, and that's how I'm going to take that leap. So I think for me, the, the real crux of it was I have, I've got loads of ideas and I like to put things into place and implement them. And I feel that recruitment's a responsibility to those around me. So like I, I feel like I'm responsible for the people that join our business. I always felt that I was responsible for the candidates that I was representing, um, responsible for how well that they were doing, which a lot of people have said, don't be so silly, like you're just the recruiter. How are you responsible for them doing one well in an interview? But I felt that I needed to give them as much help as I possibly could do and that um, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't meet up with them beforehand, if I didn't do practice questions with beforehand, if I didn't make sure they understood the, the job spec like the back of their hand. But at the same time, I saw it as a responsibility to the client. So when we, when we set up, a large part of that was for me to be able to take that responsibility and put it into action. And I think some more traditional type companies, having those ideas and wanting to make them happen it's too much red tape. So, you know, people within financial services technology right now, they will know if you work for a startup and you have an idea, your CEO or CTO is probably sitting on the floor with you and you can go, hey, Bob, <laughs> I don't know why I always call everyone Bob. It's like my favorite name, I don't know why. But hey, Bob, um, uh, I've got this idea. Can we implement it? Brilliant, right? But if you work for, I don't know, I won't mention any names, but like, you know, a banking corporate, whenever you're gonna get to Bob, You'll never get to him or her, you know, or the proverbial her. You just won't. And you can ask your manager, you can ask this, you can ask that. So I think for me, um, I probably was, um, especially back then and, and, and probably still now, the archetypal sort of startup person where I wanted to get things done. Um, and my CEO, Toby, his example of this, which I think is great, when we first set up the business, one of his first jobs was to get this disgusting fridge from the basement of this awful building that we'd 
that we were we were living not living in um we had put the company in um uh, at the time and he got this awful disgusting fridge and he had to clear it out because it was the only thing that we would have you know so that we could put our milk in it for our tea this is sort of nine years ago back in in the june 2010 and um i remember walking in one morning at 7 30 going oh my god what is that smell and there's toby he's taking his suit jacket off and he's cleaning it all out he went this is me ceo of my own business so it's quite a nice story of like you just got to get on with it and how did you meet your other co-founders it's so um, important so important so um so toby i'd worked with him in the past and i'd also worked with james hounslow in the past so um back in 2005 november i had my first day ever in recruitment um and it was a week after my birthday so it must have been sort of like november the 20 something right james hounslow my fellow md now he uh celebrated doing three deals so in recruitment a deal is is a placement right so he'd done three placements and what what we did back then was hit a gong you know it was quite quite old school type stuff but fun right and i remember thinking wow who's this guy he's done three placements today and actually he'd only started in recruitment three months before now our business was quite a big business back then and he worked on one side and I worked on the other and we never really uh, spoke we didn't really know each other we never spoke because of how large that that business was at the time but what I think is really interesting is back then we didn't have the mobiles we have now you know and and you didn't have uh, systems that you could log in from home so if you wanted to do any additional work you had to stay late and you had to come in at, at the weekend if you wanted to do anything on a Saturday so for my entire first year on Saturdays you I would be found in that office not all day but for a couple of hours and the other person that I'd bump into every now and again would be James the same thing happened at my second company, which was Badenock and Clark, that really nice company I told you about. Um, I, now, back, once I got to Badenock and Clark, I didn't have to go in every Saturday because by then we had Blackberries that you could do a bit of stuff on. So I used to write adverts and things like that. But, um, but I did a lot of extra hour stuff. And the interesting thing is, is out of a room of 65 people, so did James. And all these years later, we end up starting something up together and again i think that's that x factor that we spoke about earlier like if you really care about something you'll you'll make it happen and we both in our own ways really cared about our careers and now we are um we work very very closely together to get everybody in this business to get better every day which i've told you is my hashtag hashtag get better every day was there one moment where it was between you and james where you went that's it we're doing this it's an idea but we're gonna do it yeah so the idea um it it kind of it came from lots of different places so um uh, toby who's our ceo he wanted to start up we didn't know it was going to be called harrington star then like we took us the hardest thing about starting up was choosing the name but we knew we wanted the star with a double r because we're mass- massively um impassioned by uh vince lombardi he was a coach for uh, the green bay packers and he's written loads and loads of books on on business and leadership and his story is is a fantastic story i'm surprised they haven't done it it's like a disney movie you know like when they do those disney sports movies when a when a team like get turns around within a season but um vince lombardi was their coach and his mvp uh his most valuable player was uh, bart star and that's where the, the star comes from and that's why it's a double r but the click moment for us was we want to do we want to do recruitment well and we think we can do the basics better because we really really care and that's how that's how we came together to start the business 
And what have been your hardest things to learn when actually starting your own business? Because working for one yeah. is very different to, okay, now this is my business. This, If I don't do this, then it won't get done. The hardest thing for me, and I think James and Toby would, would probably agree for, for for them as well, is um I had to really learn about myself um, and, um, and I had to really work on my own mental toughness. So I talk a lot about mindset and stretch mindset and always learning and not being too arrogant that you can't learn from somebody. I'm not saying I was ever arrogant, but I was. I found it very difficult to be criticised and I wasn't mentally strong at all. And I think when we started up this business, um, there was nowhere to hide, there was nowhere to go. And if this was to fail, like we'd all be screwed. So like there was no choice. And I think that actually was the best thing that ever happened to me because I couldn't, I couldn't be mentally weak. I had to work on my mental toughness. I had to take constructive criticism. I had to turn that round and deal with it really quickly and action it really quickly. And that's been brilliant for, for me in terms of my own personal progression and of course the business. So I think the biggest learn for me was about myself. How did you manage to do that? What was your technique? <laughs> like literally, I, there's no point, like I have to be very honest with this. Um, I mean, I, there, there were tears, like I'm not gonna say it was easy. Like um, I've been known to like have to, oh, excuse me please. And I've had to like get out of a situation and take deep breaths in the toilet. Um, but I, but you know what, I, I, will, I will say what I said before about like, like um, getting better at presenting. I'm a massive believer in do the stuff that you're afraid of. I say that a lot, like I'm afraid of someone telling me that I've done something wrong. So do you know what I do? The minute we stop this podcast, I'm gonna say, right, what could I have done to have, to have been a better person on your podcast? Because I, like that's me kind of taking control. Because if we just shut this podcast down and you was like, Nadia, you should have done this or you shouldn't have done that. I don't like, I think I would take it well because I've worked really hard on that, but I know I'll take it better if I invite it. And, and that's me learning myself and taking control of what I don't think I'm good at. And um, and also being so open with, with weaknesses. Like I'm actually talking about it really openly. I've spent years to train myself to do that. Because I think that if you're open about your weaknesses, um, you can make them your strengths. And actually, what is a weakness? We've all got something that we're not perfect at and it's okay to, to admit it. But even more so, I've got very black and white weaknesses in my past about recruitment. So um, there's something we, we talk about all the time in recruitment, objection handling. So old school recruitment, you've got a cold call. And um, everyone listening, you've, you've heard it from the other side, like, oh God, another cold caller again. Imagine if your job is cold calling, right? So like I used to have to get, get on the phone and I, I'd have to pitch uh, financial services companies, let's say a couple of vendors who are building risk systems and say, I've got a C++ developer, I'd love to talk to you about them. And you'd get a no, 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 probably a hundred times, but one in a hundred, you'd convert. Let's be for real. I'll be more clear on that. One in 20 you would convert. That's still hard. That's still 19 that are going to probably be quite aggressive in their no to you. And even if you do get them talking, they've got that, you know, that voice when they're trying to get you off the phone. Okay, then. Bye bye. Oh, okay. Right. So you want me off the phone then? Lovely. You know, and that was not my strength, but I turned that into a strength. And then um, one of the greatest things is I've got uh, notes on my 2006 yearly appraisal, which is so good because 
all the weaknesses and now everything that everyone in the business would say I stand for is my strengths. So I'm all about how you handle objections, how you add value to people in every call, how you remember the person. Every cold call pitch is you talking to a person. It's not just a one in 20 to convert. It's a person that you better be adding value to or you don't deserve to be getting them to say, yeah, I'll work with you. Every person that goes into an interview is a person who's probably nervous about that interview and it's my job to help them. All of these things were things that I wasn't very good at because I was too panicky or nervous or whatever. And now everyone, that's what I that's what I stand for. So that is so exciting to me because I think if I can tell people that story, it means that people can learn from their own weaknesses. And whatever you think you can't do or whatever you think, whatever someone's told you you can't do, rubbish, of course you can if you put your mind to it. So I think that's, yeah, that's really important. Does that mean that you should perhaps even tell your managers about your weaknesses because then they'd be able to see well i can see that they're really trying hard in that area and that's something i'm impressed with or is that actually really dangerous um, you don't want to tell your manager so do you know what i think in a perfect world you would you'd be able to go hey this is something i'm not very good at i'd like some help here please or this is how i'm working on it but i do think that i can't talk for every hiring manager out there in the city or, or beyond but there will be some people that hearing your weaknesses won't want to help you with it, but will want to abuse it. So I think there has to be a level of responsibility for me here to say, look, you be aware aware of it. You make sure that you identify who you want to share that with. But the operative words is always, this is what I'm doing about it. This is how I am going to fix this. Um, but I don't know whether you necessarily need to go, right, everyone, I'm not very good at this, 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 and this. Like I can now that now that I know that I'm better at, let's say, talking. So I used to be terrible at going and talking in front of people. Honestly, like I'd get cracks in my voice and I get that every now and again now. So I did a talk in Amsterdam and and it was great because I had a room of like 100 people and it was brilliant. But my God, I was so nervous and my voice cracked and I thought, whoa, that hasn't happened to me in about five years because I've worked so hard at my public speaking. Um, but I can talk about it now because I've overcome it. Whereas if I was still with, if I was still in it, I don't know whether I'd want to share it because I don't need everyone watching my journey of training myself. I'd much prefer to say, "Oh, this is how I did it." If that makes sense, I, I just don't want people put, to put too much pressure on themselves. It's also quite nice that you can look back and say, "Do you know what? That hasn't happened in five years. Look at how far I've grown in that space." Yeah, yeah, and acknowledging, you know. It happens every yeah. now and again, but it's yeah. not a big thing. And I handled it great. I went, <clears throat> sorry about that, and then carried on. Whereas before, five years ago when that happened, I, I would almost want to faint out of, oh, I've made a mistake. But, you know, we're all people. Someone once told me, strive for excellence, not perfection. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a bit briefly about how you expanded to non-financial services with North Star, which yeah. covers commerce, um, digital and media. Yeah, yeah. Where'd that come back? Um, so uh, throughout all of this, I hope I've come across to to really show how I think that in, in recruitment, in technology recruitment, it's really important that we put that candidate first, like what the person wants, what they need, and we help them get to that. Look, 16 years ago when I first started in recruitment, if I wanted to get somebody a good job, notably, it would be within financial services. Because back then, there was a huge rift. It was always, this is what the tech does in the company and this is what the business does the tech is separate they're in the basement they are away from everybody else they don't speak to everyone else it's almost like tech was an add-on to the business 
In today's world, tech is the business. There is no business that no business out there could do anything without technology. Technology is the core. And like there isn't there isn't anything more impressive in the last, I don't know how many years of history of how technology has positioned itself as central to almost everything. And I love that. But what what it's done for recruitment is that when um I used to talk to developers about roles within financial services because that's where uh, that's where the tech roles gained investment. That's where they actually were able to talk to the business. Um, nowadays, that's not the case. Everyone needs tech. So when you're a technologist, do you have to go for the best jobs? Do you have to go to finance anymore? No, not at all. And look, it's easy for everyone to talk about the Amazons and Googles of this world, but let's just separate them out, just as I separate HSBC and Deutsche. Let's just take them out. Let's go to like diff- the, the jobs that... I feel are more attainable for everybody. Um, So let's separate those out and look at what do we have here? We have got a million fintech startups right now. How exciting are they? You've then got a million non-financial services related startups that are tech startups that are doing some really cool, sexy, innovative things that are solving problems in the marketplace just as important as as the financial services problems of the past so if we were going to be good and be able to give our our candidates options we had to get ourselves out to non-finance as well which which is what we've been doing for the last couple of years and there's a team of eight now on north star um and it's not just technology but it's technology and sales recruitment so this kind of represents an even further step so it's not just about giving technologists the um, the options of outside financial services that I wanted to bring, but it's also saying, well, look how much, uh, look how far-reaching technology is now. Actually, you've got these salespeople that will sell the tech, the tech product that the techies have built, and they better know that tech product really well. So that's now an arm of something that we do. So North Star is technology and sales recruitment. It's quite a holistic approach of you build something, now you actually need people to use it. Mm, yeah. That's the sales side. That's, yeah, that's exactly where the, the thought, that the whole concept came for me. And um, and I think it's also, North Star really embodies the fact that I, am, I, I love technology. When I first started as a tech recruiter, Honestly, I, I couldn't get my head around it. I remember trying to teach myself Java recruitment. I bought uh, Java techn- uh, Java coding. I bought myself this book called Learn Java Code in 24 Hours. And I got to chapter two, which was switch on the computer. And I was like, whoa, blow my mind, can't do it. And it took me a couple of years to really understand that I never needed to, to learn Java coding. I just needed to speak to Java developers. And, um, and I think over the years, I've really learned how important that that is, that as a recruiter, it's our job to reflect what the market is doing. And the market is showing us that technology isn't only technology and finance now, it's outside. And technology isn't just hands-on coding in a room, it's talking, communicating and selling, which is why North Star really embodies all those changes. I have some quick scenarios. I want you to give mm. some advice. Yeah. So first one is I've recently graduated and I want to move into technology, but I'm worried that I don't have enough technical skills. Um, so my advice here, if you don't think you've got enough technical skills is first and foremost, why do you want to move into technology and what have you done so far within it? Like, I think it's really important. And again, I'll use the word responsible that if I'm going to give anybody advice, they have to be able to exhibit why they're interested and what they've been doing because we do see a lot of people saying i'm interested 
but what have you done? So if you haven't done anything, what's good to do, I'd say, is get yourself to meetups, first and foremost. Go and meet people that are in tech right now and start understanding what it is that they're doing. Wouldn't it be great if you could end up sitting in a cost of building a parking app? A hundred percent, but once if you don't know people, you get that through the meetups. There are a number of different coding courses that people can go on. I've heard of so many different three-day courses that people have done and people get in contact with me to find out more about those. So please, anybody that's interested, you can do. Um, I was recently uh, on a video for the Financial Times giving um, giving advice to people wanting to move into coding later on in their career. And I mentioned uh, Birkbeck University as a master's course, and you can do an evening master's course for computer science. Now, you don't, that isn't the only option. However, um, there are certain idiosyncrasies within, um, especially coding, that it's it's not necessarily learnt from, from your next door neighbour. Instead, it's actually, I must learn the fundamentals of something. And there are some companies that will never change and they will want to see that you have an accreditation or you have a proven ability and you've had something that's been stamped by a university which I understand with some of those companies, but then there are others who just want to see the passion and that you've you've done something at home. And the most beautiful thing about technology nowadays is anyone can have a Mac at home. Anyone can get themselves a little server. Anyone can be playing around building different different things um, at, at home, whether it's a parking app, which I keep going back to, and this guy's going to kill me because it's his parking app. I've said it a million times. Um, whether it's that or whether it's um, it's reviewing results of a, of a Rubik's Cube and how many different ways you can do that. If it's something you're interested in, like follow your passion, but have something to exhibit when you're going to go and because you can't you'll never get yourself an interview without any evidence and you'll never do well within that interview unless you have something that you can talk about so i hope that helps second scenario i'm someone who's had about three years experience out in industry i'm not in technology but i'm now looking to move into technology but i'm also like actually i need a certain salary to stay up to you know i've got three years experience yeah how do i move in without necessarily taking a demotion or yeah. pay cut yeah um so my first my brain straight away goes to where do you work right now and do you know the tech manager in that company and you should be talking to that person him or her you should be sitting with them saying hi yeah this is something i'd love to do um because i'm telling you now nowadays every company out there is talking about how do we retain our staff Everyone's talking about the fact that they can't hire because there isn't the right talent out there. And slowly but surely, people are starting to listen to my talent triangle pitch of invest in people and create your own talent. So if you're in a company right now and you're thinking, I'd like to become more technically minded, technically focused, go and speak to your technology manager. That is straight first up. Um, but also the second thing like let's say if that that manager isn't helpful and they're like no no we only hire hire like for like and people that can do it i'd actually say like really um really look into what your network looks like so bet you there's people that you know within technology or there's friends of yours at companies that have a very established technology arm or technology part of the business and actually saying i'm really passionate about this what could I go and do? Getting actual connections of yours that you know to say, do you know what, we're doing this at the moment, I'd be really interested to hear your take on it. That's how you end up getting a foot in the door. Right now, we are quite a long way away from our last recession. Um, so we're in a 
beautiful time where where people are actually they're getting given chances and what's a really good thing right now is that there's a whole um diversity of thought that's getting promoted within the technology space at the moment so you almost want someone who doesn't know technology to be pitched this is what we're doing at the moment this is our project uh what do you make of that and that person to go what i think that's that's mental and everyone in the room to go wow we didn't even look at it from a user's point of view right in in you come let's talk about this a bit more and suddenly you're advising on how a product works or your your innovation strategist as i as as i mentioned earlier these are new roles that are coming about or your communications officer but not marketing and communications officer but communications from someone who's deeply rooted and entrenched in technology and unable to communicate what that actually means for the user of the system so i think there's loads of different roles out there but utilize your connections or of course get in touch with someone from harrington style and the last scenario is someone who's had five years experience wants to progress and the wants to stay technical though and typically it's the whole oh i'm a good developer so i'll manage developers uh, because that's the next progression which isn't always the best you know person for it how do i progress but still stay technical yeah um so i think that there's managing projects as well and being in, in charge of how those uh, those projects are run that's not necessarily people management because i think that's the problem like people think i'm a really good developer so i must go into people management management's lots of di- lots of different things and it's not only like looking after individuals and people it can be the project itself but i think there's loads of other avenues that have cropped up over the years um there were enterprise architects that that was a thing for a while um, and that was actually someone sort of looking above the parapet at the the whole organization and how bits of technology were, were put together and how they were merged together and i think that there's lots of different options nowadays from how well is a a, a product a, a product implemented how um how vastly is it implemented like there's lots of companies out there where you could become the person that gets it into other companies all, all over all around the world globally but people don't necessarily talk about that if you if you're not putting your hand up saying what other options are there so in short my advice is for you to be constantly talking to your managers all the time saying what options are out there for me within this company i want to commit to this company for the next 10 years but i'd really be interested to hear what new roles that you're you're looking into because i'm the person that won't be afraid of going into the unknown i'd like to hear about it but i think we all have to work incredibly hard to make sure that we're knowing the changes that are happening in our businesses because you know like the example i said earlier of the company of 250 people not everyone's going to know that actually we've got a vacancy for a for someone who's going to going to be uh, in every board meeting around uh, that's talking about every pro- product new product and your role is to rip that apart rip rip apart all the assumptions you know that's a new role let's say and and not everyone knows about it so i think it's really key to position yourself and make sure you're constantly asking your managers and people around you what what are the, what are the options here? Really happy with what I'm doing right now, but like what what are we looking for right now, and what roles are there? That's been great. Uh, I've loved this conversation. I think it's been great. It's given me an inside view to recruitment, yeah. and I've just gone through that process of yeah. a recruiter get me into a role. Amazing. And now I'm starting to go. Oh, that's what she did. Ah, ah now I see it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So thank you so much for your for your time. Thank and you advice. for having me. I mean, certainly it's perspectives I'd never even thought of before. So really, really fascinating. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
This episode was produced by Ryan Clifford and me, David Zint, at Harrington Star in the City of London. You can find out more about the Tech Allies Network by going onto our website, techalliesnetwork.org, or finding us on social media. How about LinkedIn? If you found this podcast useful, please share it with a colleague and let the network grow. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're hearing this now. The intro music is by Everett and Cannonblade, provided by Argo Fox, and this outro music is by Grapes. But before we go, here's one last question that Ryan asked Nadia. Cool. Okay, diversity in technology. How do you increase it? So there's loads of stuff I could say about this, but I will point you towards my Step Forward program, which is online, uh, and we could do a whole podcast on its own about this. And essentially, rather than me say that I know all the answers to this, what I have put together uh, is an 11-point plan because I think there are some amazing companies out there that are doing brilliantly to increase um, gender diversity within the workplace. And I say gender rather than diversity altogether because I think there's lots of different types of of inclusion that we need to be working on, whether it's gender, race, age, class, I could go on and on. Um, But my 11-point plan was, um, I called it Step Forward for uh, Gender Diversity in the Workplace. Um, and it gives 11 points that I think should be celebrated because other companies are doing this right now. So rather than go through all the 11 points, I'll definitely refer you to that. But the main thing for me is if you want to make a difference within the firm and you want to increase diversity of thought and diversity of people, the biggest thing you've got to do is have it measured and understand what it is that you've got, what point you want to get to and understand the why behind it. And you've got to get everyone in your business right now understanding that why, otherwise everything you're doing is going to fall down. Because if you've got a group of, let's say, 15 men, and you want to have your next next uh, five hires in that group as, as females, you need to make sure the 15, me- the 15 men understand why having five ladies is going to actually make a difference and a positive difference to their team rather than we're hiring five women because we want to hire five women and that that degrades everything that we're trying to do it's about understanding why it would be a benefit why do you want to have diversity of thought within technology and i don't think i need to go into that because it's so obvious however i will i love having different points of view And I think that technology, at the rate it's increasing, it is actually quite a socialist thing. We share the ideas. We talk about what what we've all learned. We bring it all together. We have different points of view. And that's what makes technology so strong. So why would we hold ourselves back by only having one proportion of society in the room? It's crazy. So yeah, look at my Step Forward program and that will explain all.